You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. TechNet Podcast number 388. I am Tim Tech, and he's uh, David Fan. <laughs> David Fan. That sounds kind of Asian. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I suppose it does, really. It David does. Fan. David Fan. Yeah. David Fan Ping. Um, Tim Tech. Yeah. So, of course, we're referring to, you know what, forget it. I don't. It's not even worth covering. It's not. No. I just have a low tolerance for stuff. Um, yeah. Speaking of stuff, a lot of stuff going on in in the world of tech. Um, and let's start here because it seems like, you know, this is like the third week in a row we're going to say something about USB. <laughs> um, but this is... This is actually not too bad, to be honest. So you posted this. It's an Ars Technica article. Uh, Thunderbolt 3 becomes USB 4. Is Intel interconnect goes royalty-free? Now, back in 2017, I, I do remember this. We may have even covered it at the time. That Intel, who is the patent holder for Thunderbolt, even though it was co-developed with Apple originally, um, mm-hmm. basically said they're going to make the specifications for Thunderbolt 3 royalty-free so anybody can make it. You don't have to give them money to do so. And Thunderbolt 3 is 40 gigabits per second transfer speed, which is stupidly fast. Um, almost, almost pointlessly fast. Yeah, well, well, that's kind of the thing. Yeah. People lament the fact that you can't upgrade an internal hard drive on some machines now. Or, or stick a second hard drive inside. And I get it. I do. Uh, less clutter. It's kind of one box. Yeah, sure. But when I was at OWC and doing a lot of these trade shows, everybody was waiting for internal bus speeds to come to external drives. That's what everybody really wanted to see. And Thunderbolt 3 fulfills that promise. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> 10 years ago, you couldn't get 40 gigabits per second on it. Well, with the SCSI 3, maybe. But it, it, was, it was unheard of speeds. And this is on an external drive. Yeah. I mean, previous to this, the fastest stuff was FireWire. But that was only 800 megabits per second for the uh, for the fastest for FireWire 800. Yeah, this is an order of magnitude faster. <laughs> this is, but- yeah. Well, that would be 45, no, 40, almost 50 times faster. Yeah. That's, how fast do you need, David? Well, look, if you're just plugging the hard drives and copies and files. Yeah, it's stupid. That's know, not what it's kind for. Of USB 3, well, well, again, we're getting into this thing about the naming, but the current USB 3 is fast enough. Yeah. Um, this is about GPU, though. This is about GPU. This is about... Um, Basically, as you say, having big hard disk arrays connected via a very fast cable, so they act as if they're in the machine. Cloud storage. Yeah, this is about having laptops that can access desktop class storage speeds. Um, This is about combining video and uh, data and networking and everything down a single cable. Uh, And obviously, when you start doing that, then the bandwidth requirements go up as well. Yeah, Um, this is a... a cable that you can plug in. You can have two different types of monitors being powered and running at 4K or 8K each with an external hard drive with an external GPU connected. Plus, if you're hardwired into like an Ethernet, you can have that plugged. Everything can go through this one port. Now, obviously, yeah. you, you have to have some kind of a hub uh, to plug all these things into, but still, one port going into your computer. So really... It kind of is almost like a headless computer. You just you take your computer with you, and then you plug all of these external things into it with one cable, just one yeah. cable. Uh, and presumably, they're they're hoping that eventually it will just become one cable. But here, here, then we start getting into the weeds of this, uh, and and this is where this kind of utopia idea falls apart, because um, Thunderbolt three uses the USB C connector. Correct. And the problem is, is that you don't know 
when you see a USB-C connector nowadays, or a USB-C cable, you don't know what it will support. There's no way of telling. Uh, and part of this is the USB-IF um, um, are going to rename Thunderbolt to USB-4 without a yep. space for some reason, even though all the other ones have a space in front of them. So you now again have another level of differentiation and not knowing what a port yep. is going to do. At the moment, at least, normally if you see a kind of a lightning symbol on a USB-C port, you know it supports Thunderbolt. But obviously if the Thunderbolt name goes away and it becomes USB 4, then we lose that as well. Yeah, that's the problem. <clears throat> and so, so as great as the idea is, when you have a multitude of different standards, all this does is create even more confusion. Um, and, and as well, you know, what's going to happen? People, a lot of people are not going to realize they're going to buy older peripherals that maybe marked up Thunderbolt 3 and not realize that those will work with a USB 4 connection because they have no idea that things are the same. So the USB IF, by the way, the uh, IF part of that stands for is F or something like that. Um, yeah. Can we just get some sanity, please? Seriously. Just someone that goes, nah, you know what? This is stupid. How, they just hire a marketing person. Well, I think the problem is they have our marketing people. This is the issue, is that every time they do this, it's because um, manufacturers and their marketing people want to, well, we want to sound like we've got something new and we want to put a new label on the box that's going to entice people to buy. So you can't have the old name. You've got to have something new. Yeah. You know, and uh, they don't, frankly, they don't care about confusing their customers, you know, because this is a hard drives and mass storage and, USB cables and everything like that is a commodity area where they're constantly trying to sell you something new. And they don't care if you're buying the wrong thing, the right thing, the old thing, the new thing, as long as you're buying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's sad, as is what's going on with uh, BioWare. BioWare is a game developer. Um, I, I, BioWare was a great company back in the day. They made yeah. some fantastic games. But they're kind of in... Well, trouble. Um, they released a uh, a game called Anthem. It's yet another massive online shoot 'em up, spacey. Ugh. I mean, it's yeah. It appears to be very, very derivative of what's gone on before, which is pretty much sums up the video game industry at the moment. Yeah. You still there? Uh, yeah, I'm still here. And uh, the problem with it is that uh, it, so this game has been been in development for some time. Uh, and a few weeks ago, they did kind of a, a late release test of it before. And it was due for release in a few weeks. Um, and this test did not go well. Basically, the thing looked buggy as anything. Parts of it looked unfinished. And everyone was going... Crikey, I wonder if they're going to delay this game because it looks like they are not going to hit their target. But this is the game industry, so they just launched yep. it anyway. Yep. Yeah, because you can always because send down hundreds of... Well, you can always send out 20 gigabytes of patches later on to fix whatever it is. You've just got to get those pre-order sales out the door. Otherwise, people yeah. might be mad. But then yeah. what's happened is that um, they have been issuing system updates to try and fix it. Uh, and one of their updates, basically, if you have a PS4, it locks it hard. So yeah. hard that the o your only option is to pull the power cord out of the PS4 and do a full reboot, which is something you never have to do with a PS4. And when it boots up, it actually goes down to 480p resolution and runs a, basically a Chexus app and makes sure everything's still good. And yeah. it thinks that maybe something got corrupt. This is an unacceptable level of badness <laughs> because, from yeah, any because developer. Re because remember, this, this, this game, all right, it's published by Sony um, because Sony has a hand in every game that comes out on the PS4. But actually, this game has been developed by a third party and it's not their console. At least if Microsoft or... <laughs> um, well, I suppose Microsoft is a bad example as well because it's running on somebody else's hardware. But I guess if Apple issues a buggy update that bricks your Mac, at least Apple are responsible for fixing it because it's your computer. It's, they own, they supplied the hardware as well. Yep. Um, but he, you know, they are, yeah, they're bricking people's third party machines. There are reports, anecdotal reports, I admit, but nevertheless reports that some people can't recover from this error. 
I guess the problem being that if you have any other niggling faults that your PS4 and then the, you have to unceremoniously pull the power to fix it after this uh, patch locks it up, then potentially that could bring other problems to the fore as well. This is just bad on any level. Sony's having to issue refunds to people. For digital um, purchases too. Yeah. And and it's just like, this is why you don't release software in this state. And yet the video game industry is so arrogant and so uncaring of its customers that uh, they continue to do this. Well, the video and, game industry is run by marketing departments. It's not run by... Um, competent people in these companies that actually understand the games that are being released and what needs to be done in setting realistic expectations. It's, well, it's all I, marketing. Under, I, I understand that marketing drives it, but you know what? I've heard enough stories from, from these many, many studios that are being shut down that actually um, it's just a bad industry. It's full of bad people. It's full of managers who don't care about their staff. Um, it basically, Working them eighty hours a week. Yeah, it's it's like it's like a programming meat market at the moment, yep. and they they spend colossal budgets on um, on these games, uh, and yet the people making the games happen see very little of that money. Um, it, it all, it's all lining middlemen's pockets. The, the game industry at the moment is is like the very worst of the studio um, movie industry in the twenties and thirties and forties. Yep. You know, they they treat their um, to treat the people who make the product as uh, as lousily as possible, and then there are a group of um, fat white men at the top who are uh, making all the money and creaming yeah. everything off. Uh, and that's what it is. And, and frankly, at this point, I'd rather see the industry die or go through another crash than continue the way it is at the moment. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, though, because Sony is selling a ton of PS4s, a ton of games. Nintendo, quite honestly, is... Um raking in money they're doing fantastic yeah. and you're not hearing about the a lot of these issues with with nintendo stuff um oh. and and microsoft is finally getting it seems back on track with the xbox and and sales there are starting to look pretty good so the industry as a whole as far as say wall street is concerned or the casual observer of game players uh it looks pretty good but well it's, yeah, it's it has a dark on, underbelly exactly it's doing it on the back of the people doing the work and yeah. You know, I remember. Uh, you, I remember hearing about when uh, Disney's animators went on strike because they were so poorly treated, uh, and you know, Disney very much resisted dealing with them. Tried to break the strikes and didn't want to, uh, you know, didn't want to negotiate or anything like that. Uh, ultimately, they they got better conditions, but it was hard. And unfortunately, at the moment, I think the people who are working in the the lower ends of the game industry have have um, no representation to make anything change. I, I have a friend. He's a, a friend of the family. Um, he worked as an animator at, um, um, at one big studio where they were famed for a certain type of game. He'd been working there for about four or five years. He's just moved. And I said, said oh, what, what prompted to move? He said, I just got sick of being in a factory. Yeah. That was his exact words to me, is that, you know, it was just every week it was another game, do the same thing you've done before. And it was just a production line. Hmm. You know, he said it was creatively stifling and uh, the politics weren't very nice either, so he moved. Um, I'm reading this next story that you've got. THX or THQ Nordic, game developer. (laughs) This is is the other side is, you know, those marketing people we've just been complaining about, sometimes they aren't very bright. So uh, THQ Nordic did an... Oh, Your internet is completely yeah. dropping off. Oh. Someone's playing a game in the background or something. Okay. Well, try and keep up because I'm recording my end. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, yeah, THQ Nordic did an, one of these Ask Me Anythings um, where you invite people on the internet to ask them questions. Unfortunately, rather than doing it in somewhere like Reddit, which is traditionally the place where this is done and Reddit, don't get me wrong reddit is not necessarily the sweetest place on the internet but it is a thing for doing these sorts of uh these sorts of discussions and they're fairly well managed by reddit because obviously uh they don't want bad press um instead the master people thought it'd be a good idea to do this on 8chan which is a very nasty place on the internet yeah i mean 
people my people are probably more familiar with 4chan and 8chan is like 4chan but a little bit worse <laughs> yeah so they yeah. Uh, rampant illegal activity um known for posting yep. uh well child predators like it let's put it that way that's right you know um pretty pretty uh, big far right presence on there as well it's yeah it's not a nice place no and so to try and associate one's company with this is uh, is a bit of a mistake and the thing is when people first pointed this out to thq nordic they kind of tried to own it they kind of tried to say oh you know well um yeah you know we want to be edgy and and we've got to engage people our customers wherever they are and all of this sort of thing um and then presumably a grown-up walked into the room and when he realized what the marketing people had done um they went into full we are completely sorry we are we condemn this we can't believe this happened we would never endorse this content all of that cool good stuff hopefully someone got fired for that you can't you can't put your company in that kind of a situation yeah you you gotta have enough intelligence to go uh i'm gonna do five minutes of a google search on this and oh my god look at this is a horrible thing this is this is terrible i i I hope somebody did get fired i hope the director of marketing got fired for it um Mm -hmm. you know he said he's he said he failed to do proper due diligence to understand the history and controversy of the site i do not come how how do you how do you how do you not do due diligence you're going to take your company and have a ask me anything and you pick a site that's known for child pornography are you kidding me (laughs) i mean you don't have to go past page one. It's, it, well, it's hard on a to Google believe. search to see the charges level against this place. I, I, it's hard to believe that somebody who works in internet PR, I, I certainly didn't do that, but also they never heard of HN, which uh, apparently, um, apparently he hadn't done. So uh, I don't know whether he's been fired or not, but I think he should be fired. I, I, I remember, in fact, I heard something just the other day where. Um, a story I heard another another podcast where apparently Steve Jobs, when somebody got promoted to VP, would sit them down and he would give them a little story. And he used to say, he said, if you're vice president in Apple uh, and you're sat in your office and you look down and you see the waste paper basket is overflowing, what would you do? And normally people would normally say, well, I, you know, I'd speak to janitorial services and find out what was going on. He, said, he says, right, so... In that circumstance, you speak to the janitor, and the janitor says, oh, well, somebody changed the lock on your office, and my master key doesn't work with it anymore, so I couldn't get in there to enter the waste basket. And Jobs would then say, he said, now that you're a VP at Apple, you don't get to use excuses like that anymore. Mm-hmm. It is your responsibility to solve it no matter why, why what, you know. And, and unfortunately, I don't think there's an awful lot of that in modern corporate culture of people taking full responsibility for, for the things they do or don't do. Well, including Apple, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, no, it, I, wouldn't dis- I wouldn't disagree with that. I, but I, I think it's epidemic of, like you said, it, it seems to be everything. You know, it's it's always pointing the finger somewhere else. It's, it's their fault. It's their fault. It's their fault. Um, yeah. Or... You get the flip side of that, where you get the arrogant, where you're kind of protecting your little fiefdom now. Yeah. You know what I mean? You do what's good yeah. for you, and, not and, what's good for the company. And um, and, and I use that as a, a springboard for something that I actually posted on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I know David's probably still talking. I, I can't hear him at all. His uh, internet connection is completely gone, so we're going to stop this and come back in just a second. And we're back. Chrome uh, had a hissy fit on your end, huh? It did. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe it was somebody who was on your bandwidth, because that's what it sounded like. But Well, we've got a 100 megabit connection here, so <clears throat> I, it's, it's difficult to, to understand how somebody could have killed that, but I suppose it's possible. <laughs> Chrome just said, nah, I'm done. Yeah, Chrome's, um, not, Chrome's not great at piss software. You know, it used to be pretty good. Yeah. You know, it's still my browser of choice, but man, it's, I don't know. It's its not the way it used to be. It, no. 
this kind of looked like a memory leak to me because it was fine and then all of a sudden it started to slow down and then it crashed. So. Yeah. Well, are you, uh, you on a PC or a Mac? Mac. Hmm. Well, it happens. Yeah, I don't have a lot of memory in this computer, so it, that could be a problem. Yeah, that probably, I mean, Chrome takes a ton of resources, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but everything is kind of dependent on web browsers nowadays, so. Yeah. It is what it is. Uh, we were talking about, uh, we're going to move on from the last subject. Let's talk a little bit about this next thing that you posted. And I started talking about it, and that's when you kind of went haywire, and I couldn't hear you, and obviously you didn't hear me. Um, I actually posted about this on Facebook. Yeah. It's a classic example of old man yelling at the clouds. Uh, so this is a, a perfect picture in this Ars Technica story. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, Steven Spielberg makes some of the best movies of all time for the popcorn type of movies. Yeah. You know, um, E.T., uh, I love third, uh, Close Encounters, his first big blockbuster, Jaws. I mean, that movie changed the movie industry forever. The reverberations yeah. from that movie is still being felt. The summer tentpole blockbuster started with Jaws. Um I think some of his output in the last decade has been not very good uh, compared well, to his older stuff. Yeah, I think he he does great movies and he does not so great movies. I mean, mm -hmm. not every project is going to be successful, I guess. Um, but probably more hits than misses. Yeah, your browser doing it again, David. Yeah, I'm... Uh I'll give it one more chance, and then I'm going to switch machines. <laughs> <laughs> so let's pause again. Be right back. Hey, take three. So so um, my suggestion after we paused that was that maybe try Safari, and Safari and Wire don't play. No. Nope. Didn't know that. So it's, got, it's a plug-in then. Uh, uh, it's no, it's not. It's it, I, don't, I, I don't know whether it's, it must be a plug-in, yeah. I guess... Uh, Whatever Safari does nowadays, uh, Wire is not compatible with it. They said that Firefox will work, but I figured it was quicker to download the Mac app rather than download uh, Firefox and try and get it up and running. I have the Mac app myself, but I've never used it. I've got a feeling it's only a, an Electron app anyway, so effectively it's running in a custom version of Chrome. Yeah, it's, it's got a Chrome wrapper around it probably. Yeah, yeah. So or, yeah. Ho hopefully it doesn't have the memory problems that the uh, browser does. Oh. So we were talking about Steven Spielberg. We were talking yeah. about um, the fact that it, it seems like his movies lately I don't think has been as good. But that's kind of immaterial, to be honest. This whole thing is about Steven Spielberg going to war, basically, against Netflix and other streaming services, saying their movies shouldn't be up for Academy Awards. Yeah. Uh, unless it's the TV Academy Award. Well, yeah, he's saying they should be up for Emmys, not mm -hmm. for Academy Awards. But the problem that occurs with that is that that kind of implies they're not proper movies. Right. And yeah, this, is, this is, is the arrogance part that really bothers me. And because they, they are proper movies. Well, they are made in just the same way. A movie on dedicated movie for Netflix is made in just the same way with the same yeah, no production process than yeah. a movie for the theater. And so his backers are saying, well, what he means is um, they're not created and consumed the way movies are supposed to be in a big theater with popcorn and a shared experience and blah, 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 blah. Well, that, Shut up, Steven Spielberg. You only rubbish. care about getting an award. This is about him protecting his little fiefdom and getting his little awards because he can still get the backing of big studios to put big movies in theaters, and a lot of people can't. And yet more and more people, many more people are consuming content via HBO, soon Disney+, Plus, Netflix, uh, CBS All Access. They're watching more content on those sites than will ever go to the movie theaters, ever, including yeah. YouTube. I mean, yeah. and to say that it's, they're, well, they're not deserving. 
Yeah, screw yeah. you. It's, it's just because you don't like it as much because they're making better films than you are right now and stealing your awards. Go, go jump in a lake. So that this this came up because Roma, which was made for Netflix by a previous Academy Award winning film director, by the way, Alfonso Cuaron, who made Gravity with Sandra Bullock a few years ago. He made this little movie called Roma that's like a character piece, and it was made for Netflix. And by all, I've not seen it. By all accounts, it's a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. Well, it was nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. Um, it won the BAFTA for Best Picture. A lot of people it won a Golden Globe for Best Picture. A lot of people thought it was seriously in the chance with the Academy Awards. Of course, anybody with any brain thought, well, let's face it, the Academy Awards is voted for by Hollywood. Then they're probably not going to vote uh, a, a Netflix show, to, a Netflix film to win. But the point is that that, that scared him because the reason. That, that they are scared of this is that those movies, and it goes back to what I was saying before about the, the video game system and, and harking back to the studio system in the movies, the 30s and 40s, the movies made for streaming services are being made outside of the, of the Hollywood movie system. Yeah, they're being made on often on lower budgets. Yep. They're being made far more in, in far more of an agile manner, and they're being made with far less of the studio crap. Right. Yeah. The creators have more control because the budgets are so much less. And And also, as well, because they're being made for a streaming service, they don't have these stupidly inflated marketing budgets that double the cost of these pictures. Now, if Steven Spielberg started making movies right now, he would be a thousand percent on Netflix. Absolutely. But he's the old guard. He wants to still win his little golden awards and pretend that he is some, oh, look, I'm so special. Um, That's what this is about. He he wants uh, to protect yeah. how special he is. Well, Stephen, your movies were really good. They've gone downhill. You are essentially the problem. You are why we like Netflix and the stuff that they're creating because we don't have to go to a theater. Because guess what? We don't always have time. You know, we we yeah. kind of save our. We're going to the theaters for certain things. Like for instance, I'm going today with Chad Perry and my two youngest kids. We're going to go see Captain Marvel tonight. The thing is, is well, there's a couple of facets. Is first of all, there's uh, Steven Spielberg and everybody else in the movie industry is quite happy to get second string fees for their movies by issuing them on DVD and ultimately putting them out on cable and then to the streaming services, right? So don't turn around and say, well, movies aren't proper unless they're experienced in a theatre with other people. Right, then what's yeah? then what's all the special the, the, features on the DVD, your DVDs and you exactly. do commentary for? What's that about? Yeah, why do you support those platforms? Why do you support TV as a platform at all um, if you don't think that's a proper way to watch movies? Right. Yeah? Secondly, you and I both know that the majority of executives in Hollywood and the majority of directors in Hollywood as well don't go and see their movies in regular movie theaters. They see it in private screening rooms. In fact, probably a lot of them watch them on big screen TVs. Yeah? So don't turn around and denigrate that experience like it's not as good as a movie theater. Yeah, there are plenty of people who've invested enough money to make something that's probably better than the movie theatre. And I would argue that even today, when it, this is not like CRTs and, the, and a 4.3 uh, pan and scan of the 1980s. Yeah, everyone's got TVs that are perfectly capable of watching and presenting movies in a pretty good simulacrum of, of what you get in the movie theatre. Yep. Yeah, so that, that's another thing as well. This is just purely being threatened, threatened, and rather than embracing it and saying, oh, well, you know, I'm Steven Spielberg, maybe I should do something on Netflix. Maybe I should do something for Hulu. I mean, maybe look I at should, Woody uh, Allen, who uh, I can't stand as a person. I think he's a despicable yeah. human being. But even he embraced it with Amazon. Now, Amazon backed out of the deal for whatever reason, and he's suing him for it, but that's not the point. The point is... He was more than happy to take Amazon's money and make films for Amazon Prime viewing. That's that's what yeah. the deal was for. And, and what I find, yeah, what I find most galling about this this idea is the fact that these streaming services they are they're kind of like the podcasting of, of movies. Yeah, in that they are a far more accessible way to allow young new filmmakers to get experience and to, to learn their craft and to present good, good entertainment at the same time. And because of the nature of Netflix and Amazon Prime, they're prepared to take, prepared to take far more risks than the uh, big movie studios who basically want to turn out carbon copies of the same content over and over again. Yeah. Yeah? So 
by by if if he were to get his way and to get um to get streaming services turned into a a second class movie citizen, then he would be stifling the future prospects of young filmmakers. But he doesn't care which, about that. That's obvious. He cares he about his care. getting he, the next award yeah. and getting a big fat paycheck for making a terrible movie like. Ready Player One, which was a, a, a decent book. I won't say it's a great book. It was a decent book. And his movie was meh. Um, yeah. But he wants to get a big, fat paycheck from doing that. And he's not going to get a great, big, giant, fat paycheck so he can buy a third boat if he just makes it for Netflix. Wah. So, and all, yeah. Poor and also guy. as well, yeah, this is Steven Spielberg, who, yes, he, you know, he's he's made Academy Award quality movies. Sure. He's um, won them. He's won them. Yeah, but let's face it, he's not a specialist in Academy Awards. No. Yeah, he's one of those people who, you know, can can spend a whole lifetime not winning anything except for, um, a, a, you know, like sound and, and special effects and that sort of thing, and then get a Lifetime Achievement Award at the end of his career. Right. Yeah, he's, he's not regularly in the running for Best Director. I mean, he, don't get me wrong, he has had films that have done that, Um Schindler's List and and Munich, I think, were the two ones yep. where he was, uh, and uh, Amistad as well. So he's he's dabbled in that field, but he's much more of a of a pop like you said, a popcorn movie maker, right? Where he's going to make popcorn, the big money. Yeah, but popcorn movies don't win Academy Awards, right? So why does he care? Because if you are an Academy Award winning director, you can make a huge popcorn movie and get a huge salary for doing so. That's what he cares yeah. about. Yeah. He keeps trying to make it sound like, well, the the integrity of the... Shut up. It's movies. Stop acting like you're making something that's going to, you know, change the world. That it's going to make the world a better place. And get off your high horse and say, hey, look, all these young filmmakers, they have all these opportunities. And here's the thing. You don't even need a Netflix. David, you and I can film a movie. I can film it here in America. You can film it over there in England. Uh, we could... Put it together in in whatever video editing app, uh, a two-hour movie, and upload it for no charge to YouTube. Yep. So the distribution channel is wide open to anybody, and I think that's that's scary to people like Steven Spielberg. And this is yet another way he's kind of lashing out. This is just one part of his. Well, they sh- it shouldn't be up for an Academy Award. Ugh. Get, the, yeah. the arrogance of his stance on this just. It makes me lose a whole lot of respect for Steven Spielberg. He can yep. pretend it's about the movie going experience and we create movies for t- t- shut up. It's no, it's not. You can pretend that all you want, but that's not what this is about. This is about you and your little buddies protecting your little fiefdoms. And when people say the Hollywood elite, this is the kind of crap they're talking about. Idiot. Yep. This is what they're talking about. Stop pretending that you're some kind of, important person because of your movies yeah nelson mandela was an important person you're not (laughs) Uh, and of course as well you know it's also completely ignoring the fact that all of the barriers that remain in place in hollywood for people of color um for people of different political and um and views on sexual morality and uh and and sex frankly because women get pushed down in hollywood um, yep. And they get less chances and less opportunities than the white men do. Yeah, all of those barriers remain in place in Hollywood, whereas maybe this Netflix and these other places are, are areas where those barriers might not be the same as they are in Hollywood. Yeah. So, and this is a guy who wants to basically keep the status quo. The status quo isn't that isn't that great. In case he hasn't noticed. I agree with you. Uh, we do yeah. want to thank our sponsor, uh, OWC MaxSales.com. They got Mar- Mad March. Going on right now, it's a big sale. Tons of products. I mean, I, I can't even count this many products. I mean, I'm scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. So if you're looking to save money on some cool tech right now, I'm going to post a link at both mymac.com and techfanpodcast.com to March or Mad March Stellar Limited Deal or ugh, Stellar Limited Time Deals Delivered Weekly. So this is going to be a, a weekly thing that every every week in March. Different items are going to be coming into this. Um, they got some really cool deals right now. You can get a, a Bose Quiet Control 30 wireless Bluetooth headset. Regular 300 bucks. It's 200 bucks right now, saving $100. That is um, a good deal. 
Hey, interested in the home pod from Apple with Siri? Uh, 249. Yep. One is great. Two is even better. I don't know what that means. Does that mean you get two? Well, yeah, because if you get two, then you can get stereo. Oh. Yeah, but I don't. The price makes it sound, or the way they put it, it makes it sound like. No, it's just one. That, that confused me. Um, <laughs> it's not easy. It's not difficult to do to confuse me. Um, just some really good deals. So check it out. I'll put a link in. We do appreciate them sponsoring TechFan, and uh, I look looking uh, forward to seeing some OWC folks at Woodstock this summer. Which, by the way, David, Woodstock, I'm be there. you're going to be at Maxstock this year. I am going to be at Maxstock this year. So you were there three, two years ago. Three years two ago. years ago, two that's years right. Ago. Yeah, couldn't go, couldn't go last year. Um, so, so the issue I had was was the when I was there two years ago, my mother-in-law was very ill, yeah, and uh, she passed away um, just after I got back from Maxstock. So obviously, last year it was the same time of year. Um, I didn't really want to be away from from my family because you know it's a difficult time of sure. year. Um, this year, though, Maxstock has moved slightly. It's slightly later than it used to be, which means we will be past that anniversary. Um, and initially, I was talking to uh, to my wife about maybe us all going out to Chicago for a week or so, making a holiday of it. Um, she's she's already got a trip planned in a few weeks' time, so she, eventually she said, you know what, I, I don't think I can do uh, another trip this year. Um, but she suggested maybe I go with Alexander, so that's what we're going to do. So, so I'll be bringing be Brooke, me. and you'll be bringing Alexander, and they're about the same age. Yep. And maybe we should uh, plan a a tech fan get together at the galloping ghost arcade again. That would be fun. Uh, Alexander is very keen to see galloping ghosts. Brooke would be too. So yeah, yeah, let's plan it. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, We'll open this up to anybody listening. Um, I don't think anybody showed up the last one. Did they? Maybe one person. Uh, Yeah. yeah, No, I think there were a few, there were a few people there, two or three people, maybe. So we'll talk more about this and we'll nail down a date, but it's probably going to be on a Friday. Uh, yeah. The day before the show opens, uh, we'll meet at a uh, Galloping Ghost Arcade, and just look for the great big blue Sequoia with a black push bar in the front, and that's that'll be me. Yeah. And I'll be there. Brooke will be there. David will be there. Alexander will be there. It'll be everybody will be there. It'll be fun. It doesn't cost a lot. The games are on free to play. You play kind of with a mission. You just play all the games you want, and yeah, you know, it's it's dark and arcadey and it's fun yeah um let's jump over to um we got a feedback and and this is going to lead into our wiki trolling um steve stavinsky sent us an email yesterday as a matter of fact yeah and he said uh hi tim and david this came up in a face group part uh facebook group i'm a part of and you should check it out all things tandy radio shack it reminded me of the email I sent to you guys suggesting the long-awaited Bell Labs wiki troll, which we'll still get to one of these days. What I'd like to do is find someone that actually worked at Bell Labs or, yeah. you know, and bring them on and really make a big thing of it. But quite honestly, David and, and I, we've been so busy with regular life that this, I don't want to shortchange Bell Labs. It's such right. an important thing. Uh, it's been in our notes forever that we're going to do it. We just haven't. Um, and now here I am suggesting another one, Radio Shack. Got to do it. Love the show. Thanks, Steve. We really do appreciate that. Would, of course, welcome feedback from any listener. It's the show at techfanpodcast.com or just go to techfanpodcast and leave a comment. You can send us email right from the site. Um, Radio Shack. Yeah, and he, he sent in a link of uh, a picture of a um, TRS-80 portable terminal. PT210, uh, and this this was basically a teletype terminal mm-hmm. that you could connect your telephone handset to uh, manually. That is, you would plug it in. You would no. literally take the head the headset receiver and put that down over two rubber cups so that it could hear what was going on through the phone. Um, and then you could you could connect up to a, a back end computer over the phone line um, and interact, and it would type things out for you, and you could type things back. If you want to see what this kind of looks like, go watch War Games. Yeah. They had one of these. Yeah. Uh, this is how we did computing back in the day. Oh, it, in some respects, I kind of miss it, but 
we kind of look at the past, especially with technology and stuff like this, with rose-colored glasses. And yeah. if you actually was forced to use it, you would hate it because of what you know it's going to become eventually. Yeah. It'd be terrible. It'd be terrible. But that's what we had back then. It was awesome. And the, and the thing is, is that Radio Shack, I mean, I, I first encountered Radio Shack. I first started coming to the States when I was about nine or ten years old. Um, and Radio Shack was an amazing place. Because it was, it wasn't on the scale of anything like Best Buy, but it was like kind of like a shrunk down version of Best Buy in that it had everything to do with electronics. Um, obviously, as the name implies, it came out of uh, the the radio scene. Everything to do with electronics crammed into these tiny little stores in the mall, um, and they also had a big catalog thing, so you could order electronic parts and that sort of stuff if you wanted to. But they effectively commoditized an awful lot of cool technology, including computers and radio control cars and electronics kits and everything they had in there. And it was like an Aladdin's cave going to Radio Shack back in the day. Uh, going from the Wikipedia page, the company started as Radio Shack by 1920, or in 1921 by two brothers, Theodore and Milton Dushman, who wanted to provide equipment for the then nascent field of amateur or ham radio. The brothers opened a one-store retail and mail-order operation in the heart of downtown Boston at 46 Braille Street. Brattle Street, sorry. They chose the name Radio Shack, which was the term for a small wooden structure that housed a ship's radio equipment. Um, pretty cool. The company issued its first catalog in 1939 as it entered the high-fidelity music market. In 1954, Radio Shack began selling its own private label products under the brand name Realist, and I kind of I remember the Realist stuff. I never realized yeah. that that was Radio Shack, uh, changing the brand name to Realistic, which is what I remember. Uh, after being sued by Stereo Realist, um, after expanding the store or the ex, after expanding to nine stores plus an expensive mail order business, the company fell in hard times in the 1960s. Radio Shack, bleh, Radio Shack was essentially bankrupt, but Charles D. Tandy saw the potential of Radio Shack. And retail consumer electronics bought the company for three hundred thousand dollars. This is when Tandy comes in, and Tandy Radio Shack was—that's what the official name is that you and I remember. I mean, we always knew Radio Shack, but it was Tandy. Yeah, and a lot of the products were branded Tandy. Yep. And of course, you know, one of the early mass market computers was the TRS eighty, and that stood for Tandy Radio Shack nineteen eighty. Yep. Uh, Tandy. Tandy's strategy was to appeal to hobbyists. It created small stores that were staffed by people who knew electronics. Or, and electronics, yeah. And sold mainly private brands. This is the thing. I remembered Radio Shack in the 70s and 80s. The people that worked there knew their stuff. This wasn't like someone that works at a Target or a, you know, a Best Buy type of place. Where you go in and you go, hey, I'm looking for this. And they're like, oh, let me call my manager. And yeah. they don't know. And they, oh, it's in aisle four. And they, but they can't answer any questions. The people that worked at Radio Shack, they knew their stuff. You'd walk in and say, hey, I'm, I've got a radio or I've got something I'm trying to fix. And I need like a soldering iron. And they'd be like, well, what you want is, and they'd take you over. You can get this one. It costs more, but you probably don't need that one if you're not going to use it much. This one's probably what you're really looking for. I use it for my blah, 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 blah. And they really knew their stuff. They really did. Yeah. You know, you'd take them a diode and show them, and they'd go, oh, yeah, I've got that. <laughs> oh, they go, oh, you don't want to use that one. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah I, that I, one will go bad on you in, in three weeks. You want to use this one. Uh, Radio Shack obviously has uh, pretty much gone the way of the dodo at this point. Um, yeah, I mean they, they, you know, they they actually held out for a long time, but um, kind of the uh, the the rise of internet, uh, the rise of online shopping, and also pretty stiff competition from from big box retailers like Best Buy and everything kind of uh, put them to the wall really, and. Uh, you know they struggled for a long time in the last the last few years of their life, but they just couldn't pull it out. Funnily enough, there was a company here in Britain called Maplin Electronics that was very similar to Radio Shack, nowhere near as old. Um, they actually started where I grew up in South End in the uh, late seventies, um, and they had a very similar kind of model to Radio Shack, and they were very reminiscent of Radio Shack. And they went out of business about 
two years ago uh, here in the UK, and it's exactly the same sort of problem. When you're selling rebranded products with your own name on, um, when people can go to Amazon and they can buy, you know, names they rec- they recognise um, online, then then that makes things very hard for you. And that and that differentiator of having people in the store who have expertise. Well, now everybody looks everything up on Google and becomes an expert themselves. They don't want to go and ask somebody for their expertise. They want to figure it out for themselves. And so that key differentiator goes away. Longtime staff observed a slow and gradual shift away from. Electric part, electronic parts, and customer service, and towards promotion of wireless sales and add-ons. The pressure to sell gradually increased, while the focus on training and product knowledge decreased. Yeah. Morale was abysmal. Longtime employees who were paid bonus and retirement and stock options saw the value of these in- instruments fade away. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say that they made a bad decision in, in the shift of their business because. Here's the problem with Radio Shack. When you and I were young, we could actually fix our broken equipment. And we were kind of encouraged to do so because it was so freaking expensive. If yeah. if your TV went out, you could probably fix it. If you don't electrocute yourself, of course. Um, if your radio broke, you could probably fix it. It was kind of obvious. You'd open up the back of your boom box and there's a capacitor that's blown. Uh, and you can just replace it and it would work again. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do that with modern electronics. There's nothing you can fix in modern electronics that... Well, yeah, everything... Unfortunately, all of those products that Radio Shack used to sell have now shrunk to the size, to submillimeter size. Pinhead. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they are effective without specialized equipment. They are unrepairable. Right. It, everything's surface mount now, which means that it's put into the board by machine. Yep. Um, and um, soldered in by machine. I mean, they, I mean, you remember the backlash when the when the MacBook Airs first came out? And sure. the fact the, the RAM was soldered to the motherboard? Well, the reason to do that is because it's much cheaper and more reliable to do that for a computer manufacturer than to have sockets and allow you to change those things for yourself. And and basically, that is sums up the electronics industry. We would not have um, smartphones the way we have today if they weren't basically made by computer using exactly. robots. And the um, sad but, part is, because I, and we've both seen it, and we've participated in it actually, is the rise of the hobbyist type of electronics, the Raspberry Pi type of stuff. Yeah. That's, that's gaining a lot of ground. Uh, unfortunately, that came along a bit too late. That's what I'm saying. Shack. It's it's too yeah. bad that that they uh, went away before. Look, there's still some Radio Shack stores out there, but it's nothing like it was before. I mean, to even call it Radio Shack is, is kind of a disservice to what Radio Shack used to be. I loved Radio Shack. I remember going to Radio Shack when I didn't have a particular need for anything. Yeah. Just to check it out. There isn't a Radio Shack store anywhere near where I live anymore. No, whereas when when we were growing up, basically every big mall had a Radio Shack. Um, Well, I still remember uh, the standalone stores. The one here in where I live, in my hometown, we had a huge Radio Shack store. It was awesome. But I... I remember going there in the in the early 90s, and I remember going there in the late 90s, early 2000s with Julie, for instance, and there was nothing in the store, or it was a whole bunch of, like, junky RC cars and sh- just crappy flip phones, and it was sad. You know, it yeah. was just, it, it, it wasn't well, anything that I remembered. That was the other problem with the Radio Shack is that uh, over time, their products which used to be made in the U.S. Yep. were outsourced to China, and the quality went down. Yep. Uh, and not only that, because they were outsourced to China, that means they, that you could buy the same products anywhere. Exactly. I mean, it used to be if you wanted a radio-controlled car, you had to go somewhere like Radio Shack or a specialist model store because you couldn't get them anywhere else. That's right. Whereas now, nowadays, you can go into Target, Walmart, whatever, and they'll have probably 15 or 20 different types, even that, and, and that's before you even start looking online. Yeah. Yeah, so the the specialty store like Radio Shack, does it? Do you think that uh, if, if a business like Radio Shack came out and they cater to um, – Let's say the 3D printing market, uh, the hobbyist market with uh, retro pies, cases for retro pies, little screens, touch screens, you could build your own devices. Uh, maybe the 
smart home stuff, the thermostats and the, you know, intelligent mirrors, that sort of thing. Do you think a store like that would have any chance of survival at all right now? Uh, I think I think a, a standalone store, a one or two two place business could in a big city. They, yeah, but the, could could you have a national chain like that? No. no, because you can't compete with the internet. No, absolutely not. I agree with yeah. you. I think a place like that may be able to survive in like New York City. Yeah, um, but maybe not. I mean, there were some uh, particular TechServe, a huge Apple yeah. reseller. Matt, I mean, they were huge. If you've never been into TechServe, man, you you never saw an Apple store. Um, yeah. They they didn't survive. And they weren't just retail. They were break fix and uh, they did professional services. And, and they were in the heart of New York City. Yeah. And they did not survive. They were in Manhattan, close to Times still, Square. Yeah. There are still some businesses that carry on like that. I'm thinking photography stores. They seem to be able to. Uh, I mean, B&H Photos is one of the big ones that are based in New York City. Yep. They seem to be able to manage. But again, they are they have effectively two businesses. Yep. They've got an online business as well. Um, and yeah, so it's it's tough. If you have a niche and you can serve the niche with expertise, then I think you've got a chance. But you do have to be able to compete with effectively YouTube and the internet, and it's very difficult. Yeah, tell them if they break any of those dishes, they have to pay for them. Uh, she's uh, she's emptying the dishwasher, so yeah. <laughs> so with that, I need to go empty a dishwasher myself because I know it's <laughs> done and uh, fill it up with another load. Uh, we're going to wrap up this episode of Tech Fan. Apologies to you, the listener for the uh, interruptions. Hopefully I got it edited correctly, uh, splicing it all together. But yeah, te- technical things happen occasionally. It's, it's yeah. uh, you know, w- your your refund for this episode's in the mail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just send your bill to uh, David B. Cohen at, at, on the Twitter. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'll see you next week, David. And hopefully we then. can talk about Captain Marvel. Yeah. Bye. Bye.